Hey guys, this is Naeem and you've reached the Mosaic Church Podcast. So excited that you're part of our listening community and I'd love for you to be even more connected. So check out our website. There's more content there and there's more opportunities for you to get connected in our ministries and events as well. Also, love for you to share this content. If this is blessed to you, I know that God wants to use you to bless other people with it. So share this podcast, if you will. Lastly, would you consider supporting this ministry? This is made possible by other people's generosity, and I'd love for you to pay it forward. Join us to reclaim the message and the movement of Jesus together. So would you consider giving to this ministry? I know that God is able to do immeasurably more through us when we come together. Thank you so much. God bless you. Enjoy. Wow, I feel the energy. Let's get acquainted, okay? So, like I said, I'm Tiffany. I am 30 years old. I grew up right here in Charlotte, North Carolina, right down the street. One thing that I don't necessarily love, and that thing is puzzles. And it's difficult for us to see the bigger picture that God is creating of our lives, right? Because he's got these thoughts and these ways that are so much higher. And now at the beginning, I told you that when I pick up a piece of this puzzle, I get frustrated because I don't know where it goes. I have no clue what I'm supposed to do with this. But when God picks up these pieces, he turns the box around and he's able to see the entire picture. All right, good morning, Mosaic. How y'all doing? What's up? Oh my goodness. Can I just do that again just for the experience? That was so good. Um, Listen, I got to agree with Tiffany, our friend Tiffany up there. Uh, Puzzles are not my spiritual gift nor my love language. Um, They actually just frustrate me greatly. But it is a pretty spectacular, incredible feeling when you get a puzzle finished, right? It's even better when you didn't have to do any of it. So I'm fine. Hey, uh, I'm super excited to join you all this morning. If you've got your Bibles, you've got your um, iPhones, your Androids with your Bible on it, go ahead and turn to Psalm 121. Um, your iPhone's probably already there because it thought of it for you. Your Android's going to take some time, y'all. But listen. 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 Y'all. It's, not, it's 1030, y'all. We got we, we to gotta go. We've got to go. Um, so I have uh, my family. Uh, I love my family. I really do. We've got three little boys under the age of 10. And two years ago, we welcomed our baby girl, Amelia Jane. Uh, we call her MJ, and I call her MJ for one reason, one reason only, uh, because she's named after the greatest basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan. And so uh, it's a good, there we go. The one person that, that applauded God has an extra amount of grace for you. <laughs> That we just need to spread everywhere, everywhere else to everybody else. Um, but here's the thing. We, we have gone into this parenting thing for a while now. My wife and I will be married for 13 years, and we've got all these kids. And, and we feel like we're pro-parents at this point in time. We have done the diapers. We've done the potty training. We have done the regression from the diapers back, which if you've ever done the regression, <laughs> Lord be with us. You know what I mean? It's that sliver of hope that is just yanked away from you in the most disgusting way possible. And we've done it all. And so um, all of my children have had a thing. 
a thing that just brought them comfort, that uh, when they're in pain or anxiety or frustration, it, it is their help. And so my oldest son, he had this uh, a dragon called Toothless. I don't know if anybody remember the Toothless dragon. Yeah, he had this Toothless dragon that he, he needed to have with him everywhere that he went. Uh, my second son, Levi, had a pacifier that he loved that he had to have everywhere. My youngest son, Lukey, he has, uh, his name's Lucas, we call him Lukey Bear. He had this bear blanket right? And he had to have that bear blanket everywhere he wanted. Now, MJ is a, a very, let's just say, intentional young woman already, okay? She knows exactly what she wants and when she wants it. And the only thing that she wants that's going to make her happy, that's going to satisfy her, is what she refers to as a papa. Now, a papa is simply a pacifier that she can't call a pacifier, so she calls it a papa. It is this tiny thing, and I want to show you what this papa looks like. How can something so small, so, so fragile, so minuscule, be something so comforting? So here's what happens. We realize that if we let this papa behavior go on for too long, this thing is going to become an idol in her life right? We're good parents. We don't want idolatry in our life. We got we to rip this thing away from her, but we want to be kind in the process. So we've got to do the slow withdrawal of the papa over time. So at one point in time, she could have it all day, every day, right? Go look for the papa. You got it. Great. We're at the stage now where she's only allowed to have the papa at night when she goes to bed, right? So during the day, she's good, but at night. So here's what happens. At night, typically, my wife and I will do rock, paper, scissors to figure out who's putting the baby to bed at night. <laughs> and, and, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great negotiation tool. And so uh, the, the, the pattern goes like this. We do the bedtime routine. We do the book. We do the bath. We do the whole nine yards. But y'all, after this many years, we should know that the most important vital thing that we need to have accessible as we're putting this child down to bed is what? Papa. Papa. Right? So this is what happens. At one point, we've got her in, in our arms, and we've done the bedtime routine, and we look down, and we wonder, how can this girl keep track of the papa everywhere she goes for the last five minutes before she needs to go down to bed? She loses the papa. She looks up at me when I'm putting her to bed, and she looks, and she goes, dada, papa? I look back at those beautiful brown eyes, and I say, hmm. <laughs> I look up, and I look at her mother, and I say, Brit, papa? She looks at me and she goes, hmm. <laughs> at which point now we've got three little boys, Liam, Levi, and Lucas, that are now nameless. We just yell out, boys, Papa, where are you? And she is turning from her, her look, her gaze to dad who could be her helper. And, and dad has failed her epically. And then she looks to her mama to, to be her helper. And her, and her mama has failed her epically. And now there are these three little boys that are scouring the entire house to try to find this little tiny papa. Liam, the oldest son, most responsible one, he is looking and, and there's no papa to be found. Levi, my middle son, who is just wild like a leviathan, he, he's climbing up things and down things and going, into the house crawl space. Why would he go to the crawl space in the house? We don't know. But he found himself there and he comes, Dad, it's not, Papa's not in the, in the crawl space. <laughs> and then comes Lukey Bear, walking with a little bit of swagger with something behind, <laughs> looking around. And MJ knows because she looks at, at Lukey Bear and she goes, Bubba, Papa? 
And he looks, and, and it's almost like handing her a diamond ring. He just lifts the papa into the air. And MJ looks, and she sees the papa, and she goes, ah, oh, my papa. See, this little girl had gone through the, the emotions of something that she desperately needed that brought her comfort and safety and security, brought her a sense of stability when things are about to feel unstable. It's this tiny little papa, and she had looked to all of the things that potentially could be her helper. She had gone to her dad, she had gone to her mom, she had gone to Liam, and then Levi, and then finally she found her helper in Lucas. Why was her help found in Lucas? Because Lucas brought the thing that she so desperately needed. I think as a people, we have embedded in our hearts a desire, a need, uh, a longing for help. And before you go, Joel, like MJ is a a two-and-a-half-year-old baby, of course she needs help. Uh, I want to just talk about the way that we have been innovative in our technology to the point that an iPhone, you can hold on two buttons if you're in danger, and it does what? Calls for help. In, the, in your cars, I noticed this today when I got into my car and the top, some of our cars, the, the, the cars, they've got this little help button that you can sit there and, and if you get into an accident or something happens, you can, you can click that button and what does it do? It calls for? Yeah. There's this show that my sons and I have been watching. It's called Alone on Netflix. It's, it's these people that I don't know why in their right mind they would want to go into the wilderness, into like the, the Rocky Mountains where the grizzlies live. Like the grizzlies live there. Don't go where the grizzlies live. And then they go there for three months, for like 60 days. Actually, 90 days. I, I know I'm Indian. I'm supposed to be able to do math. I, I corrected myself quickly. Don't hold it against me. 90 days. They're, they're there for 90 days, right? And here's the thing. They're, they're given a device, and on that device is a little button. And, and here's the thing. You want to tap out because you need help? You got to do one thing. Press the button. Even the old commercial, help, I've fallen, I can't get up. The necklace with the button, you press the button, help will come. We are a people who, who inside of our very being recognize a need for help. The ancient Israelites understood their great need for help, and they understood it so much that they wrote these um, incredible psalms that are actually songs. And so today we're jumping into Psalm 121, and, and from Psalm 121 to the next 15 of those psalms, these, these psalms are referred to as the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent. Now, why would they be referred to as the Psalms of Ascent? There are two primary ancient Old Testament traditions that are understood for why they were called this. The first one is that if you were to go to Israel, one of my favorite places that I've ever been to, if you go to Israel and you go to the temple and you see the steps uh, leading up into the temple, guess what? Guess how many steps there are? Fifteen steps. And so all the way back in the Second Temple period, the thought was that during the Feast of Tabernacles, when the, when the people of Israel would go into the temple to, to worship, to be in the presence of God, what they would have done is they would have taken a step, and for each one of these 15 steps, they would have stopped, and they would have paused, and, and they would have sung one of these psalms of ascent. Step one, Psalm 121. Step two, Psalm 122. 
Step three, and on and on. I think this by itself is incredibly fascinating. Why? Because we live in a culture that desires to get to the destination as fast as possible, as efficient as possible. Like, like we need to get there so we can find meaning and desire and fulfillment. And look how God has constructed even these psalms and, and the pattern of behavior for the Israelites to actually force them to slow down. The beauty of the destination is found in the journey that gets us there. So, Psalm 121. There's a, another thought, and, and this is that the psalms, the songs of ascent were sung almost as campfire songs for the Israelites that were dispersed out throughout the nations. Uh, at the Feast of Tabernacles in the Old Testament, they, they would have had to come when they were in exile. They would all come and gather, and they would, they would pilgrimage back to the temple in order to, to, to do offering and, and, to, and to do um, what was required of them by, by God. What do you do when you're on a road trip? What do you do when you're traveling? I don't know about you, but I love to listen to songs. The other day, actually, just a Three weeks ago, I brought my, younger, my oldest son, Liam, with me on a road trip. I was speaking at a church in uh, Evans, Georgia. It was only two and a half hours away, so we decided to drive, and I brought my son with me. And, and we, like halfway through, we just thought, hey, Liam, do you want to listen to some songs that dad listened to when I was younger? Which feels really old for a dad to say that, like, you know. But I said, hey, son, you want to do that? And he looked at me, and he goes, nah, dad, I'm good. <laughs> at which point, I responded, like, nah, bro, you're not good. You don't know what you're missing until you've experienced it. So, so let me go back through the archive of memory of my life. And, and I went back and I, and, I, and I found this old band. And this is going to um, really, you guys will know a lot about me probably based off of this band. I'm going to tell you. This was, you know, in my kind of heathen days. So don't really be upset with me for it. Uh, but I was kind of, uh, I was a mix. I was a mutt in a sense between hip hop culture and also indie kind of screamo culture. And so like, it's just weird. I'm Indian, you know, we're kind of in the middle of both places, right? And so I listened to this band called Taking Back Sunday. Yes. Woo! Yes. All right. So Taking Back Sunday was like this incredible band because it was a perfect mixture of like a little bit of screaming, but also just like regular singing, you know? I couldn't do the heavy screamo stuff the whole time. It just, it gave me a headache. It still does. And so I'm, I'm playing the song, and I'm like, I'm, we're like going, I'm going at it. And my son is sitting there, and he's like contemplative. My oldest son is very contemplative. Like he's, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, he loves this. He's feeling it. The, the end of the song goes, and I go, Liam, what you think? And he, he looked at me, and he goes, hey, Dad, that guy sounds real angry. <laughs> and then he was like, yeah, maybe let's not listen to that again. See, but what was interesting is that while he was contemplatively thinking about the anger of this individual, you, you want to know what I thought about? Where I was in my high school, in the halls, who my friends were when I would walk up to the locker, and, and, and Brad, who was to my right, and Jennifer, who was, to, who was to my left. I thought about the morning routine, watching Dragon Ball Z before I left to go <laughs> catch the bus. Isn't it amazing that songs have this incredible ability to transport you from this present moment to a past reality. These Psalms of Ascent that I believe the people of Israel sang as they would camp from one location to another were actually this, songs of remembrance that were intended to reframe the mind, orient the heart, 
and direct the steps of the people of God. In other words, when you and I read the Psalms, we're actually being invited into the songs of the people of God from ancient days past. And it's aimed at the whole person, the whole person. And in Psalm 121, we get the longing of a person who is in the pit despair. I love the new song that we sang today. I don't know if y'all caught it, but Sean, incredible worship leader, by the way. Sean, yeah, yeah, we can give it up for Sean. You see, um, Sean did something pretty brilliant. I don't know if he even knew that he was doing, but he changed one of those words. The word was, if I stumble, but he kept singing, when I stumble. You see, I love this. He needs to send a note in to the licensing people and the author of the original song because what he did was a theological correction, I think, for this very good song. It's not if. You've lived life long enough. It's not if. It's when. It is when I stumble that I can know that the presence of God is with me that I will not break. And the people of Israel in Psalm 121 are, I think, in the midst of the stumble. You know that moment when you trip and you fall? And it's that split second where it's like vertigo. All of a sudden, everything's up and down. You don't know what's going to take place, but you know a crash is coming. You know you need to grab onto something to try to keep you up. This is how the psalmist starts in verses 1 and 2. He says this. Let me read the verses for you. I lift my eyes towards the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so here's the very first thing that the psalmist is doing for us. He is creating an expectation and a framework for who God is. He is our help, and our help comes from the one who holds all power and all authority. How do we know this? Because of the physical orientation that the psalmist tells us to do. In the very first instance after the fall in Genesis chapter 3 and Genesis 4, you have the story of Cain and Abel. And you have this moment where Cain is so downcast. It says in Genesis 4 that, that, that his eyes fell down, that his face was downcast. It meant that his eyes went from being here or being here to being here. In fact, this is a Hebrew idiom for anxiety or depression. Many Old Testament scholars would say, yeah, Cain was in the midst of, of a deep despair that would equate to a type of depression. And here's the thing. As long as your eyes are downcast and looking inward or at your feet, the only place you're going to go is deeper into despair. So what does God do? What does he tell us? He says, okay, lift your eyes towards the mountains. Now, now, here's the thing. In English, when we read this verse, it's so easy for us to kind of bypass the cultural context and just go, yeah, absolutely. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Obviously, Yahweh, my help comes from God, who's in the mountains. Here's the crazy thing. In the ancient world, the Israelites, when they're out, this is a question in Hebrew that's being phrased. It's asking this parenthetical question, like, hey, just by the way, where does your help come from? Does it come from the mountains? And this is what the Israelites would do. They would look up to the mountains and they'd look. And you want to know what they would find in the mountains? They'd find altars of pagan gods. So they would look and they would be, oh, there is the altar for Baal, the thunder god. Are my crops in despair? I don't have any rain? No problem. Baal is my help. 
Oh man, I don't have any children. Infertility is a real issue for me. Like, like I'm struggling through this. Oh, there's the altar for the God of fertility over there. Oh, man, man my, my marriage, my relationship, all my things are, are falling apart. What do I do? Oh, the altar for the God of relationships is over there. So, th- so this, is, this is a question that the psalmist is actually posing to actually bring a corrective for us because he's subtly, subversively condemning when we look to counterfeit helpers. Where does your help come from? Really? You think it's going to come from the mountains? No, 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 no. You don't know where my help comes from? It's the maker of the mountains. The maker of the heavens and the earth. You see, there's a serious danger that presents itself in the small space between looking downward and lifting our eyes upward. In that small space of lifting our gaze, we're presented with hundreds of temptations that are distractions that try to deviate us from fixing our gaze upon God. And ultimately, it derails us from the source of true help. Here's the thing about counterfeit helpers. It looks really good. They might even deliver for a second. A counterfeit $100 bill, a really, really good counterfeit $100 bill, is only going to be caught by who? A trained eye. To look for, to identify. And so for a time period, you might get away with cashing that that in. But at some point, it's going to get caught up, you're going to get caught up, and it's going to leave you bankrupt. I want us to pause and to think for a second. Because I'm convinced that the greatest danger to our souls are not these big, large, obvious temptations but rather the subtle inclinations of the human heart to put absolute trust in things that are totally untrustworthy. Hmm, on my Instagram, I got 25 likes. I feel so good about myself. I just got 25 people that followed me. Ah, that's got to give some kind of worth. It affirms who I am as a person. Social media can fulfill our desire to know others and to be known. It's a counterfeit help. Money, it can create a sense of security and and position us in places of power. Y'all, money is a counterfeit help. Even our family or our vocation, it can establish a a sense of belonging. But when that good thing becomes an, an, an absolute thing, it becomes a counterfeit help. Education and and intellect and growth, it can protect us from being perceived as inferior or lacking intellect, but but that degree that's hanging on your wall that probably costs way too much, it's a counterfeit help. This is what God does, rather. He tells us that the king of the cosmos knows us so we can be known by him. That's our true help. He reminds us that any sense of security, position, or power can only be found in the one who not only creates everything, but sustains all things through Jesus Christ. John chapter 1. That is our true help. The king of the cosmos tells us that that he brings us together to form this beautiful multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational family of God that's held together by the Spirit himself that is evidence of true help. God assures us that we are children, sons, and daughters of the king of the universe. And y'all, if we carry that title that is not earned but given, we can never be inferior or lacking. Because when the world sees us, they should see the very wisdom of God, Jesus himself. This 
is our true help. Our second point is this, that our helper is near. We sung about that today, but he's also always aware. Look at verses three through four. He will not allow your foot to slip. Your protector will not slumber. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. Why in the world does the psalmist continually talk about a, a, a half-asleep God? Why is this even important? You see, I actually think the psalmist is doing some subtweeting. And it's an ancient form of subtweeting. I think what he's doing is he's actually reminding the people of Israel, hey, y'all, remember this ancient story found in 1 Kings 18, the prophet Elijah? Remember the mountains that we were just talking about? Questioning, does your true help actually come from there? Let me read this, 1 Kings 18, 27 through 29. At noon, Elijah mocked them. It's these, it's these prophets, these priests of this false god, Baal. And he said, Yo, shout, I'm giving a little bit of Joel's commentary. This isn't in the text. So. <laughs> Yo, shout loudly for he's a god. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he's wandered away or, or maybe he's on the road. Perhaps, check this out, perhaps he's sleeping and will wake up. So what do the, the prophets and priests do? They're like, oh yeah, maybe he's sleeping. Dang, we caught him in nap time. So they shouted loudly. And they go to extreme desperate measures. And it says that they cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blood gushed over them. So it wasn't for like five minutes. All afternoon, they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice. And I think that if you're one of these prophets of Baal or a follower of Baal, these are some of the most condemning and heart-wrenching and heartbreaking and devastating words that you could read. But there was no sound. No one answered. No one paid attention. Now, how is our God different? He won't let your foot slip. Why? Because our protector doesn't sleep. Indeed, the one who protects Israel does not slumber, nor does he sleep. This is the assurance that we need so that when we sing a song, like, like even when I stumble, we, I won't break. Why? Because God's not asleep. There's not a split second in human history that God was unaware So what does this mean? It means that, that this great God, who's totally aware, who's completely near, doesn't just sit absent and behind, but he's active. It says that our helper is actually our protector. Verses 5 through 8. The Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right by your side. The sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. The Lord will protect your coming and going both now and forever. The context of this is actually the wilderness journey for the Israelites. When it says this, that the Lord protects you, the Lord is your shelter right by your side. The sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. Like if y'all lived in the ancient Near East, during the midday, the sun is brutal. If you ever went to India, around like noon or 1 or 2 p.m., 
in the blistering heat. Ain't nobody like, hey, babe, you want to take a walk today? <laughs> no, you know what they're doing? They're taking a nap. Why? Because the sun will, will, will bust you up. It is blistering. Verse 6, the sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. What does that mean? Have you ever been in a really hot day, seen a massive tree? Isn't it incredible that our inclination when the sun is just blasting our face is to go into the shade of the tree? In the Old Testament, it tells us that as Israel would go through the wilderness, that the Lord protected them, led them in a pillar of cloud. Why? To block the sun so they wouldn't roast to death. And at night, that, that he, was a, he was a shelter for them. It's a pillar of fire. Why? Because ain't no wild animals coming near fire. What the psalmist is doing is he's telling us about the overwhelming protective nature of God. At night, one of the, the, the scariest things in the ancient world would be to sleep without shelter. Why? Because scorpions and snakes are real, y'all. For real. The other day, my wife was running through the house. Help, help, help. I'm like, babe, what's wrong? A snake, a snake. I was like, oh my gosh, a snake is in the house. I need to call for help because I'm afraid of snakes. <laughs> where's the snake? Where's the snake? <laughs> uh, there, there. I'm like running. Where's there? I don't know where there is. Now this is all panic. Everything is panicking. My, my German shepherd dog, 75 pounds, should be with me by my side. You know where lady went? Into the other room hiding. <laughs> I go, I'm, I'm, I'm walking, I'm, I'm like, what is going on? Snake, snake. I'm like, oh gosh, it's going to be a copperhead. I don't know what to do. Snakes, they love Indian people. This is bad. <laughs> and I look out the window. You know where the snake was? Outside. <laughs> Crawling in a bush. It was like a, this big. It was a black snake. That Some people tell me black snakes are good over here. They kill the, the, the rodents. They, they keep the copperheads away. I, I believe you, but I don't trust you on that, okay? <laughs> All snakes are bad for me. Isn't it amazing that, that even this thing outside the Instagram, help, I need help. If you get bit by a copperhead, you get bit by a rattlesnake, it's death. You get bit by a scorpion. No modern medicine today that we got, you gone. This is, this is the language. This is the language that the psalmist gives us for the type of protection that God gives us. I want to make a connection to this. Have you ever thought about that tree? Let's go back to that tree. And, and, and here's kind of like how, I don't know, here's how I work. Sometimes I don't think about the cost of the help that I get. I just love the benefit of the help that I receive. So there's this massive tree. And, and in, in the blistering heat where the sun is just blasting me, and I'm, sw I'm sweating thinking about it. If I step underneath the shade of the tree, question, I experience like 10 degrees cooler instantly, did the sun stop shining? What do you mean? I'm, I'm cooler. 
The sun is, not, is no longer hitting me in the face. What do you mean this? the sun has to be no longer shining? Well, no. Why? Because this massive behemoth tree is blocking the sun by taking the full force of those rays and bearing them for our shade. Help has a cost, and that tree is bearing the cost of that furnace so that we can experience the shade of the tree. On the cross, Jesus hangs on what? A tree. And when he hangs on this tree, he suffers something worse than the sting of a rattlesnake or the bite of a scorpion. He suffers the sting of sin and death in totality. And in the middle of the day, where the sun should be shining bright, isn't it so intriguing that the text tells us that it becomes dark as night? The world is covered in the shade of the grace of Jesus who absorbed the furnace of the punishment of sin and death so that you and I could embrace the shade of grace at his feet. It came with a cost. And we can experience the benefit, and we can celebrate the benefit, and we can talk about it, and we can sing about it. But until we, we allow the reality of that to impact us intimately, to frame our mind, frame our thoughts, and, and motivate our actions. What a sadness to live in the shade of grace and not act in a gracious way. Spurgeon says it this way. What you and I need is help. Help powerful, efficient, constant, we need a very present help in trouble. What a mercy that we have it in our God. Our hope is in Jehovah, for our help comes from him. Some of us are on a road right now, and we're longing for help. Here's the promise of God for us. Help is on the road and will not fail to reach us in due time. For he who sends it to us was never known to be late. What a good God that gives us our help in just the perfect timing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are a God who protects, that you are a God who is kind and gracious and, and who sent his own son to be the, the shade of the tree, to, to, to take on the stings of sin and death that we might live in the, in the shade of grace. We pray, Lord, that, that, that as we look to you as our helper, that we would not miss the great cost of help but that we would have eyes to see counterfeit helpers. We would have, have the, the mind to reject those things and to embrace 
the one true help that we have, our help in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Mosaic Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. For more audio and video content, visit us at mosaicchurch.tv.